So I want to welcome you again. My name is Tim Power. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Salem. I want to thank you for worshiping with us. And, and as, as we get into the sermon today, um, we're surrounded in this season by a lot of uh, familiar things, right? So we've got Christmas trees up. We've got Christmas decorations and things like that. Uh, one of the things, that I find this is true about the Christmas story in general, is that it's so familiar that we, we kind of shut off our brains for a second. Or we, we think, I've heard this. I've heard the Christmas story. I know everything it has to teach me. But you know what? I, I want all of us to come in here with an expectation that God wants to meet us today. An expectation that the Holy Spirit can do new things in stories that we all know. That God wants to change who we are, what we're doing, and how we're living our lives. And that God's going to even use a story you've heard a bunch of times to do that. So I want you to just have that openness, not even just openness, but an expectation in your heart that God is going to meet with you today. So I'm going to start out by reading a scripture um, from Matthew. This is from Matthew chapter 2, and this verse is 1 and 2. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. Now, this is a little bit unorthodox. A lot of times when we are going through the Christmas story, we don't get here quite yet. We'll actually be revisiting the story of the Magi a little bit later in the Christmas season, after, the, after um, Christmas Eve and after Christmas. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the story of the Magi. But what I want to focus on today is something that is unique to the book of Matthew. The reason I want to do that, our, our whole sermon series this year is called Two Stories, One Christmas. You know that the Bible has actually two Christmas stories. In the Bible, we have four books of the Bible that are specific to the story of Jesus' life. These are, these are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these books um, tell us the story of Jesus' life. And then two of those Gospels, Matthew and Luke, give us distinct stories of Christmas, distinct stories of the birth of Jesus. But they're totally different stories. A lot of times when we see them in movies and when we see them in a nativity scene or in a pageant, they're kind of smashed up one, uh, as one story, but they're actually two very different stories that give us different perspectives. What we talked about last week was kind of the very revelation that, that, that God is telling us something in giving us more than one story. God is telling us something and giving us four stories of Jesus' life on earth. And that's that perspective is important. Why is perspective important? It's because people are finite. People are finite. We cannot see everything at once. So as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, we see in part, not in full. And I used the example last week. There's, there's a pretty uh, famous parable called the parable of the blind men and the elephant. You've probably heard it before. But basically, there's several blind men that want to know what an elephant is all about. So they go up to it, and each one tries to feel the elephant. One of them feels its trunk and says, oh, it's like a snake. One of them feels its leg and says, no, it's like a tree. One feels its tusk and says it's like a spear. Now, they were all correct, but only in part. What they needed was more perspective. Now, I think that's why being part of a church body is really, really important. 
because I might see one thing really clearly, but I'm blind in a lot of other areas. I need you to help me get a bigger perspective. I think that's just generally speaking why community is really important. Some theologians even argue that that's why we have a triune God. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not just one, but three in one. Perhaps, they would say, because even God needs community. Three distinct personalities and perspectives. So last week we talked about the importance of perspective and especially seeing every aspect of our lives through the lens of Emmanuel, God with us. I shared this last week, but I'll share it again. Um, John Wesley, one of the last things John Wesley, who's a, 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 one, one of our, uh, the founders of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, as he was on his deathbed, sat bolt upright in bed and said, best of all is this, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Best of all is this, God with us. And I don't know about you, but I, I live in fear that I will not have profound last words. Anybody else? I live in fear that my last words, words are going to be like, this oatmeal's too cold. And that's all I've got. That's the legacy. Best of all is this, God with us. And this week, what I want to do is take a look at this aspect of the Christmas story distinct to the book of Matthew. I want to explore the idea of this star that guides the Magi to their Savior King, Jesus Christ. And as I said, later on in this season, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on the Magi. We'll do, we'll do a whole sermon about them and their story. I, I want to talk a little bit about them. I'll give a little bit of background. Now, the Magi, the truth is we don't know a ton about them. The word itself, the word Magi holds certain connotations. We get our word magician from the same root. Now, we don't, use, we don't see them anywhere in Scripture pulling rabbits out of hats. But what we do here, uh, especially from uh, New Testament scholar Marcus Borg, he says that he theorizes this idea of them being Magi is that they were pagan religious leaders who practiced a form of astrology. Because we hear them sometimes called uh, wise men. They were called wise because they had certain knowledge, what they called hidden knowledge, that was unknown to other people. And so they thought that maybe they got their knowledge from the sky, from the stars. But that's how they were magical. They had magical knowledge, special knowledge. And it says we don't know exactly where they came from, but they came from the east. What we do know about it is that they were not Jewish. They were not practitioners of the Jewish faith. And the author of Matthew is really actually making a very profound point there alone. That people from all nations, everyone is drawn to worship this Savior Jesus. From all backgrounds, from all places, all are invited in. So that's a little bit about the Magi, but they're not really the important people in the story we're telling today. The important thing is the star. The star that is guiding them. It, what I had read earlier, it said this. Uh, when the Magi come to Herod, they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. See, they're already associating Jesus with this light. When it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, this star is important in a literal sense as a light that leads to the Savior Jesus. But it's actually would have held a really important sense as a metaphor in the ancient world. Now, see, in, ancient, in the ancient world, 
Light was important. Really, really important. The light that came from above was very important. Now, as modern people, it's really, really easy for us to miss the significance of this. We are surrounded by light all of the time. There are very few times in my life and in your life where we can't just flip a switch or tap our phone and get light. But in the scope of human history, that is a very recent development. Um, just out of curiosity, do you know how long it's been? Do you know what century in which cities began being illuminated at night? When, when it was a normal thing for cities to have light at night. Anybody have, by century, anybody have an idea? 20th century? 19th century? Somebody said 18th? So I, I was asking my own kids, and I hadn't done any research on it yet, but I was asking them, uh, we've got a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a, and a 12-year-old boy, and they all had different, uh, my, my, um, my nine-year-old um, is, is actually, he's the nerd of the family, and I say that with all the love in my heart, um, but, but he's, he's I, I, was, I told them, I think it was probably the, the, ni- the, no, I said, I think early 20th century, and he said, Dad, it was probably at the advent of the first um, gas lighting which would have been in the 17th century. He was right. And I said, nobody likes to know it all. Go to your room. So anyway, so over the course of our history, the idea of having some kind of illumination at night, it's, it's really, really new. It's really new. In fact, right now, there's actually a lot of research that's showing that the, all of this light that we're surrounded by at nighttime, that we can keep us awake, can have us work night shifts, is, it, it might be really detrimental to our bodies, our sleep ske- schedules and our, our circadian rhythms, that actually, perhaps all of the artificial light could be causing sorts of different sicknesses and diseases that we haven't encountered before. But for a moment, I want you to imagine yourself back in the ancient Middle East. When the sun goes down, it's very dark. And not only is it dark, it's very cold. All through ancient literature, not just in the Bible, but but through lots of different ancient texts, darkness is a metaphor for blindness, cold, and even death. Now think back to the creation story in Genesis. What was the first thing God says? What is the first thing that by divine fiat God created? Let there be what? Let there be light, because without light, where is the rest of creation? Now, the story of the star that lights the way is only found in the book of Matthew. It's not found in Luke. However, the metaphor of light in the darkness, of Jesus shining a light that guides us, is a central theme also of the first chapter of John. So in John chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, it says this, The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the light didn't recognize the world. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children. Now what does that mean? I think the point of the Christmas story, the point of this light that guides is this, that Christ was born into our world so that we could be reborn as children of God, that you, that I, that we are children of God. 
Now, now what is this picture, though, this picture of light shining in the darkness? What, what does this actually mean for us? What is this metaphor in John? What is this literal picture of a star that guides? What, what can we, uh, how can we apply that to our lives? Because, you know, it's a great story. And like I said, we're familiar with these things. And it's easy for us to just think, well, that's pleasant. That's quaint. That's comforting. But how does it change how I live? How does it change how you live in 2019 and very soon in 2020? Well, my big takeaway from, from what I read in Matthew and also from what I just read in John is this. The application of this, and it's the title of my sermon today, is this. Widen your aperture. Widen your aperture. Now, let's be honest. Who here still has a camera somewhere? Is it just holding up a leg on your kitchen table or do you ever use it? Nobody uses cameras anymore, so I understand this is the last time I can use this title to the sermon. But do you know what aperture is? I'm also a little hesitant to use this, to to try to use this technical term, because I know that we have some folks that are um, are, are photographers that do that for a living, and I'm going to make get something wrong. I, for, for instance, I used to. Uh, I, I try my best now not to use medical examples in sermons like illustrations because uh, there's a lot of doctors here, and they always call me out. And so, so I would share something, and then afterwards they'd come up and they'd be like, hey, Tim, good sermon, but, you know, you had this a little off. And I'd be like, well, I mean, I got it from a reputable website that was a naturopathic uh, supplement site that sells crystals, so I don't see why it wouldn't be good. But okay, you're the doctor. Aperture. In a very basic sense, and I require a very basic sense, aperture on a camera controls how much light gets into your lens. In low light situations, you've got to widen your aperture. Widening the aperture doesn't just affect exposure, it also affects the depth of field or your focus, okay? A wide open aperture actually narrows the depth of focus and results in an image with precise focus. Precise focus. Now, it kind of reminds me of this story of Peter. And we, we covered this a couple of weeks ago. The idea of Peter, when he goes out on the water with Jesus, and this is a very low light situation. The disciples are in a boat at night and they see Jesus out on the water. And what we see is that Peter. When his eyes are on Jesus, when he focuses his eyes on Jesus, when he, when he um, has his broad aperture, he can walk on water because he can keep his focus there. But then, when he narrows his aperture, when he loses sight of Christ, he starts to sink. And I think if you're here today, if we're here today and we feel like we're just doggy paddling to survive, maybe what we should think about doing is widening our aperture of how somehow letting more light in. And if you're like Peter, which I'm oftentimes like that, full of doubt, sometimes not letting a lo- enough light in to really see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to give you a quick definition of doubt. This is a definition of doubt I like. Letting, God, letting circumstances get between you and God. Doubt is letting circumstance get between you and God. Faith is this, putting God between you and your circumstances. Putting God between you and your circumstances is faith. You see the difference between those two. Now, it's not burying your head in the sand like an ostrich pretending like everything's fine when it's not. 
It's just putting more stock in the eternal promises of God than you put in your present situations. That's what faith means. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Collins. He wrote a really great book called Good to Great. And in that book, he talks about the Stockdale Paradox. Stockdale Paradox is this. As Jim Collins puts it, we've got to confront brutal facts in life with unwavering faith. Confronting brutal facts, seeing everything as it is, with unwavering faith. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, this is from Matthew 6.22, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Therefore, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That sounds a lot to me like widening your aperture. So our focus determines our reality, and actually our aperture determines our attitude. Our focus determines our reality, and our aperture determines our attitude. So what I want to talk about real quick, three ways that you can open, that you can widen your aperture today, okay? Three ways that you can widen your aperture. And the first one, and I, I like, you know, especially as we're getting to the end of the year, who makes any kind of resolutions for the new year? Not one of you. Wow, this is the strangest church I've ever been to. Okay, some people started raising their hands. That should be a resolution for you. Make some resolutions. So I like around this time of year to start thinking about the next year. How did things go well? How did things not go well? What kind of things do I want to add to my schedule? What things do I need to cut out of my schedule? So these, these are a couple of things, ways to widen your aperture um, as we're thinking about entering the new year, but you can start today. The first is this, read scripture. Reading scripture is a great way to widen your aperture. Now in Psalm 119, 105, it says this, your word is a lamp before my feet and a light for my journey. Now doesn't this sound a lot like what we read in Matthew? That there's a light for our journey, and what, what it says is that God's word, the scripture, is a light unto our feet. Did you know, by any chance, that Salem has an app? <laughs> Somebody said, whoa, yes, whoa. Salem has an app. Here's the great thing about the app. If you download our app, which you can get for Android or iPhone, you can get on there and listen to me talk like 24-7. You want to go to sleep with me talking? That's what you need to do. Beyond that, there's a Bible portion to our app, so there's a daily scripture reading. You could read the Bible every day just according to our app. There's also a ton of other resources out there, and I've talked about version a lot. That's a Bible reading app that I use, and it reads it to you. On your way to work, while you're getting ready for your day, you can have the Bible read to you. So you're just constantly having this. And here's why I think that's important. When you read from Genesis through Revelation, it will widen your aperture. When you keep your focuses on the promise of God, it will change how you go about your day. So the first way to widen your aperture is to read Scripture, making it a daily habit. The second way is this. The second way to widen your aperture is to keep a gratitude journal. Keep a gratitude journal. Uh, back in the fall, we had a, a men's uh, Bible study that was meeting on Wednesday night. Um, and by the way, we're going to be starting one up in January, so talk to me about that later. But one of the guys, we were talking about morning routines, and one, one, of, the, one of the guys in the group said that he starts his day with a gratitude journal. And what an amazing way to start your day being thankful about what you have. See, a gratitude journal, 
So or people who, who are doing that, they understand that contentment is not about getting what you want. It's about being grateful for what you have. That's a big shift in a lot of people's mentality. Not just worrying about getting what you want, but being grateful for what you have. Um, Gary Smalley is, is an author who's, and, and uh, marriage counselor who's worked with thousands and thousands of couples, written a lot of great books about marriage. And one of the things he says is that in his work with couples, and, and this is, I know that this is painting with a broad brush, but he said, generally speaking, most couples have a marriage that is 80% good and 20% bad. And yet, half of all marriage end in divorce. What he said is this. He said in most of the couples that he's worked with, the difference between successful and unsuccessful is whether they've put their focus on the 80% that's good or on the 20% that's bad. Now, I understand there's tons of exceptions to that rule and extenuating circumstances that might not make that true in every case. But I think that's probably true about a lot of areas of our life, that when we're putting our focus on what we can be grateful for, versus what we don't have, what we're longing for, then our contentment is going to rise. That we're actually going to widen our aperture if we can be focused on our gratitude. So one was reading scripture, reading scripture. The second way to widen our aperture was keep a gratitude journal. The third way is this. Serve. Serve. Serve in the church. There's so many opportunities that we try to create around here where you could serve. You could just welcome people as they come in the door, open up the door for people. You could uh, be a greeter or an usher. You could serve, help us serve in the office. There's so many, uh, be involved in music ministry. You could join a, a, the handbell choir. You could do a lot of things. Or there's lots of different ways that we try to make available for you to serve with the groups that we serve with around the city. Many of our partners, like St. Louis Public Schools, like our Haven Street Ministry in South City, like our, our LifeWise STL, who we're going to be doing a Christmas party for soon, like Epworth, Children and Family Services. So there's all these opportunities. Okay, a couple of years ago, um, I had somebody come up to me uh, after a service, and um, they said, I noticed you guys ask for help a lot to do stuff. Like you're always looking for help. Have you thought about hiring more staff And I said, well, actually, the reason we make those opportunities, we're not trying to just get a bunch done to get the stuff done. Yes, there's a lot of people that need help, a lot of people that need the work of the church, but it's not just about that. It's important for us to serve because serving widens our aperture. Serving God widens our aperture. And not only does it do that, but sharing the light of Christ will make it come alive more deeply on the inside of us. Sharing the light of Christ makes it come alive more deeply on the inside of us. And see, that's really the point. See, the gospel is simple. We start out in darkness. We all start out in darkness. And somewhere along the line, we come into contact with the light of Christ. This light that leads us to a child who will become a man who died for our sins, who was raised again to life so that we could be raised into greater life. And that changes us. It changes something on the inside of us. We're not the same anymore. And somehow we want to give that out. When we walk out of this place, we have a glimmer on the inside of us, and it has nothing to do with what we've done. 
has nothing to do with what we've accomplished. It has nothing to do with our great love. It's just some glimmer of the light of Christ. But when you walk into a dark room, even a glimmer can be like a blazing fire. And that's you when you walk out of these doors and you serve. When you take something of the light of Christ into the world, it's amazing what you'll look like in darkness. And you can do that. That's why you need to serve. It's going to widen your aperture. So um, a couple years ago, one of my sons really wanted a, um, a sword from the game Minecraft. And it was, it's, it's a video game, but they had these swords. And it was a glow-in-the-dark Minecraft sword. Uh, I don't know if you know a lot about glow-in-the-dark things, but they need to be in light for a while, right? They need to be in the light. If they're not in the light, they don't glow. But he didn't want any of his brothers to play with it or any of his cousins to play with it. So he hid it under his bed until bedtime. And he was planning on jumping in there at bedtime and pulling it out. It was going to be blazing in the darkness, wasn't it? You think that worked out? He pulls it out. He can't see a thing because it hasn't been in the light. But see, that's how you're different. You've been in the light. Now, we come into this place not to just get filled up so that we can go home. We come into this place and we tell each other about the love of Christ. We tell each other what God is doing in my life, in your life. We read these scriptures that fill us up with a story about a God who loved you so much that he gave up his life so that you could have life and life more abundant. And that's good news. That sets a fire on the inside of you that makes you want to go into the world and share that with somebody else who needs that kind of light in their life, doesn't it? That's what your life looks like when you've widened your aperture. That's what your life looks like when you've been filled up with that light and you're ready to shine it out into the darkness. I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage. So I gave you three marching orders there, ways to open your aperture, reading the scripture, keeping a daily gratitude journal, and serving, serving in some way. Sharing that light that has shined into your heart so that it can shine out into the world. See, that's pretty simple stuff. It's pretty profound stuff. If you would, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us so deeply even what we would call recklessly, God, because it doesn't look like any of the love around us. We thank you, God, that you came as a light shining into the darkness so that we could be children of the light. But God, I pray that it doesn't end there. Widen our aperture, God. I pray that you would let us see the light so clearly that it would go into us, God, so that when we walk out of these doors, we walk out changed people ready to change the world. So I just pray right now, as, as we're getting ready to sing this closing song, God, I pray that you would shine your light into us. Be our guiding light, taking us to the next place that you would lead us. And God, I pray that we would not reflect any of ourselves, but only the light of Christ that people wouldn't see our love because our love is so faint, but your love is like a blazing fire. And I just pray that my life would shine back your love. I pray that for everyone here who's seeking after you, that, that their lives would shine back 
your love is a blazing fire in the darkness and that people could find you. That we would all be lights leading people to the feet of Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.